today's such a beautiful day and I'm in a really good mood and we're just going to top that off by one of the finest musicians of all time that has a sort of music that can bring any mood up. You know, gypsy music doesn't really get a lot of love and though it is one of my personal favorites, uh, when applied to this kind of salsa jazz guitar style, a particular man named Django Reinhardt really made wonders of it. I already gave away who we're talking about tonight, but most of you might not know the name. But if you play the music, you might understand or at least have heard something from the reference. I'm Pat. I'm Ian. Welcome to Dude Check Out This Song. And so like Pat said, we're doing Django Reinhardt today. Oh. And Django Reinhardt was actually born Jean-Baptiste Reinhardt on January 23rd, 1910. Which is arguably just as cool of a name. Right? Well, he was actually given the name sometime around his birth, and it's a Romanian word meaning I awake. Is that's what Django means? Yeah. That's fucking cool. Uh, I guess you're probably already going to get this, and I'm doing the thing where I ask questions that are getting to where you're going, but you said French origin. Is he born a Frenchman, not like gypsy? He was actually born in a Belgian town of Liverges near the French border. And yes, I'm going to screw up all these French names. Did, it, get did used you just to say liver cheese? Liver cheese, maybe? Oh, if it, I hope it's liver cheese. Liver cheese? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, I don't know. Welcome to me fucking up the French language. Here <laughs> we go. We, we're not going to waste time to stop and go through a pronunciation gui- guide of each uh, French word. So I'm just going to apologize to the entire nation of France and whatever other languages that, uh, that Ian may destroy this evening. And we're just going <laughs> to laugh at him pronouncing them. Going to be a fun podcast. <laughs> And so Django actually spent most of his youth in like gypsy encampments close to Paris, you know, spending carefree days for the most part immersed in music. And his family, you know, just traveled around, you know, made a living by trading whatever they could and fortune telling, really. Oh, his family's fortune tellers? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of the gypsy life is you got to be a fortune teller. Good God. I mean, that's awesome. And if people don't know this, because I sure didn't, gypsies actually speak the language Romani, and it is actually related to Hindi, and it is believed to have been originated in South Asia. Yeah, it's, yeah, the the Romani language is crazy, and uh, the origins are disputed, to say the least. Hence why I said believe, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Django's father was a talented musician himself, and that's actually where Django learned his first instrument, the violin. And, you know, he was taught while they were sitting around campfires and stuff. And his mother was actually talented in her own right. She performed songs and she danced at the tailgate of the caravan. Oh, that's cool. I wonder if, like, the tailgate of the caravan is, like, a special place to dance. I'm not really sure about, like, how the gypsy encampment hierarchy works, but that sounds like kind of a special... Sounds like where they would party. Yeah, like, exactly, like the, the, the hangout zone. Business is over. Time for some fun, right? And over the years, Django would end up picking up several more instruments, the banjo, the guitar, and then he decided to play a hybrid of the two called a gitjo. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love those. I didn't think, when was this? I didn't realize they were around back then. I kind of thought they were like a modern novelty style instrument. No, this is in his youth, so it's got to be like the 1920s. Well, now you now every day I learn something because honestly, I always assumed like, you know, get Joe's and, you know, banjolins and things. I'd assume those were modern inv- adventations where they had just started mixing instruments. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the 1920s having the, the combination of that, that's kind of a, I, I had no idea. I guess I should look up when those were invented. 
That's funny because I always would make fun of guys who used a six-string banjo, and they would always go, let me tune my banjo real quick. That's a guitar, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a banjo-tar or guitar-joe, whatever you want to call it. Play one of the two. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, like, let's be realistic. It's it's a guitar with its fretting, but it's just got a, you know, it's a different style resonator on a guitar, which is... Basically. I mean, it's it's a guitar that sounds like a banjo. Yeah, exactly. With with the style of resonator of a banjo, which, I mean, does kind of make it a separate instrument because the guitar in quotation marks doesn't have that. But, you know, that's just a modified version of a guitar. But I guess it's also a modified version of a banjo, so really... And around this time is when he actually started helping his family raise money by playing at county fairs and on the streets of nearby towns. And he would also make money by fixing musical instruments and weaving baskets. (laughs) Something very important. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, apparently basket weavers are really important in, in like, ancient societies, at least. So (laughs) I don't know about the 1920s gypsy life. I don't know how that's going. I don't know how ancient that is. Yeah, exactly. Ancient quotation marks, I guess. Hey, when you got a hole in your basket, who are you going to call? Django Reinhardt. Come on now. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we never know if the world really goes to shit. You can just tune or repair uh, instruments and then, you know, I'll be a basket weaver, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have the talent to do both at the same time. <laughs> well, are you required to do both? I, I mean, don't know if I'm required to, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know. You, you overachiever, you. <laughs> and because of all of his playing around, he ended up catching some attention from a local accordionist slash band leader, Maurice Alexander, in the Belleville section of Paris. And, you know, they started playing around. He got more attention. And by 1928, Django was was actually signed by an English band leader named Jack Hilton to appear in London with his orchestra. Oh, yeah. When you get to go to London to play with an orchestra when you're a little gypsy boy, that is the step. Unfortunately, disaster would strike. God damn it. Yeah, never think never think the goods right around the corner. <laughs> you know, we we purposefully hide certain elements of this show preparation from me so we have an, you know, the natural reaction. And I'm always like on the edge of my seat like good stuff's about to happen to him. It's going to be awesome. I'm ready. And then you're like, "No. You're the crusher of dreams, Ian. Crush my dreams. What happens to poor Django?" So in 1928, at the age of 18, Django knocked over a candle on his way to bed after returning home late one night after a performance. Kind of set the whole caravan on fire. And he lost everything, all of his possessions, and was also horribly injured. Holy shit. And this is where he gets his hand injury? This is where he gets his hand injury. Oh, my fuck. Because, you know, like I said, I always follow the folklore. So, you know, the word around the campfire is always, you know, it got blown off or something, you know, something blew up and it hurt him. And but uh, nope, just as simple as knocking over a candle. I mean, when your whole house and everything you own is made of wood (laughs) and on wheels. (laughs) God, that is and it. The whole uh, caravan burned. I mean, it ravaged the caravan, so my understanding is it took out a lot of stuff. Yeah, I wonder if anybody died that night. Since it was Hay himself who knocked over the candle, that would be rough on his uh, rough on his conscience. Yeah, and so he was actually covered with first and second degree burns covering half of his body. The doctors told him that he would never play guitar again. His ring finger and pinky finger were permanently hooked, and the doctors thought they would have to amputate his right leg. 
You know, I thought about bringing this up in the intro, but, you know, like, honestly, on his own merit, bringing up his mangled hand as, like, a, a quantifier of how good his music is, is it doesn't even do it. He, it's actually his left hand. That's his fretting hand. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm just saying. Like, it, no matter, like, bringing it up as, like, a quantifier doesn't matter because he plays as good as any guitarist. So he did end up being able to use his leg with the help of a cane. So over the next two years, though, he just spent relentless amounts of time, you know, essentially doing his own therapy for his two fingers that he has left, essentially, teaching himself his own technique. And so he ended up having to develop a whole new method of playing. You know, he would have to use his index finger and his middle finger to manage the fretboard, while his other fingers kind of frozen in, you know, just a deformed claw. He could occasionally use those for different chord shapes. Yeah, I've actually seen a couple of people like do mock-ups of how his chord structures work because there are like a you know pictures of him playing and stuff yeah. like that, and it's some of the most interesting things. It's real adaptation because it's clear that he had to relearn every chord. Oh yeah, and with this new style, he ended up really basically coming up with like choreographed arpeggios and stuff like that, just so he could get through chords a lot of the times because he was so limited. Yeah, exactly. So instead of playing a three-tone chord, since you only have two fingers, you just run the arpeggio as a as a chord or an open tone or whatever it may be for replacement, and it's turned out pretty good. Yeah, and if you guys don't know arpeggios, please check out our Charlie Parker episode. We talk about that quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> we, we get in-depth explain arpeggios for probably to some people's dismay, but whatever. You know, we won't go into it a lot right now. And so Django actually had help from his brother Joseph who was actually an accomplished guitarist himself, but he had given Django a new guitar. And so with this help, Django was actually playing again by 1930 in front of cafes and in the courtyards of Paris, you know, passing a hat around for money and stuff, busking, you know? Oh, wow. How, how much actually later is that? Two years. Jeez. He's probably still showing major signs of those bodily burns at that point, too. Yeah, there's probably he, all sorts of scourge. Yeah, because he, he looks fairly normal towards, like, his his elder age. But even then, when you know that he's been burned, you can look at the pictures and kind of be like, oh, okay, I see a little bit of the scarring here and there. But he, he mostly, like, looks normal in his later life pictures. Maybe that's because of the uh, lo-fi of the cameras of that age, too. Yeah, actually, probably a good point. I wonder, I wonder if there's a texture difference. I guess that's, uh, that's something we don't even really need to think about or discuss. But Yeah, maybe someone saw him on TV and then met him in real life was like, oh, dude, really? Gross. <laughs> no, I hope not. If not, I'm going to invent a time machine and beat that guy up. You would. <laughs> What, what, you're that guy, aren't you, Ian? <laughs> you, are you saying you want to beat me up now, Pat? I'm saying in this hypothetical situation where you time-traveled to make fun of Django Reinhardt about his skin condition, I would also <laughs> time-travel to beat you up. Yes. I like how we're calling it a skin condition now. <laughs> <laughs> Scarring? I don't know, man. <laughs> and so Joseph and Django, they ended up touring the south of France. They met this artist, Emile Savitri who introduced Reinhardt to recordings by Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Joe Vanitti, and an American guitar player, Eddie Lang. But there was one song in particular, Louis Armstrong's Indian Cradle song, that really influenced Django to start playing more jazz. Oh, I could actually totally see that. That was one of our warm-up songs today, but I didn't know the connection when we listened to it. But now that I'm thinking about it, that is... That's exactly, like, it makes sense. There's a direct logic as to where he'd be like, oh, wow, this this whole swing thing is good. 
And that leads me to the first do check out this song. That's right. Indian Cradle Song by Louis Armstrong. Yeah, check it out. It's fucking fantastic. Guys. It's a great song. And you can actually hear, like, heavy influence on those, like, swing beats that he does all throughout his career, too. Yeah, it, it really does honestly sound less of, like, a Louis Armstrong song and more of, like, a Django Reinhardt song. And and realizing it's a direct influence just makes it all the all the more understandable when you really try and, you know, analyze it like that. Yeah. Yeah, you can really hear where he was trying to go with his music at this time, too. And so they eventually made their way back to Paris in late 1931, and he met a man named Stéphane Grappelli, at the time a pianist who played with alto saxophonist Andre Ekins' band. Also that year, the University Jazz Club was established in Paris, so he actually had kind of a home base to start playing. Didn't have to travel around passing the hat, right? Nice. And so within a year, they ended up forming a band called the Quintet of the Hot Club of France, which is essentially what this university jazz club ended up being called. And so Grappelli ended up playing the violin in this band with Reinhardt on guitar. Ooh, yeah, that sounds fantastic. And they actually had a concept that was pretty new at the time. Like, from what I'm reading, they kind of invented this concept where they have a lead guitar player and a backing rhythm guitar player. Oh, it's something that a whole bunch of modern bands do. Yeah, like everybody does now. My band does it. That's interesting. So the, the, the concept of this wasn't really around before that? From what I read, this is where it came from. That's fucking amazing. Like, that's such a, such a core piece of, like, modern America, like, uh, Americana music and things like that. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the multiple acoustics and, you know, especially one acoustic resonator as a back or something like that. That's how you make, like, traditional American music right now. And they were also famous for using the guitars as, like, percussion instruments as they had no percussion section. Banging on them and things like that. Yep. Yeah. Like just strumming real hard. Mm -hmm. If you watch some of those videos, you know, they're really, really hammering down on those strings. Yeah, but that's a, another thing that we really, really love, uh, you know, in modern times. If you think about, like, really hard-hitting folk music nowadays, it all has that driving strum that kind of comes from this as well. And with this band... They finally started recording a bunch of songs, you know, and this was all pre-World War II, you know, so it's got kind of the lo-fi of the pre-World War II stuff, but they ended up recording, like, a lot of American pop and jazz standards, songs like Dinah, Tiger Rag, Lady Be Good, Stardust, St. Louis Blues, and a ton of others. But what they really became known for is their mix of European roots with original compositions in jazz format with songs like Jangology, Minor Swing, Bricktop, Swing 39, and the international hit, Nuages. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Nuages? Nuages. How do you spell it? N-U-A-G-E-S. Nuages. <laughs> Again, butchering the French language. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's pronounced something completely fucking different. And, you know, I hope somebody yells at you about it. I just don't know if enough French to actually do it myself, so... <laughs> I guess you can't at me then, bro. Yep, no BM for you, buddy. <laughs> and so, in the later years of this quintet, he would end up jamming with, like, a lot of famous musicians who would end up touring Europe. Like, he even recorded with Benny Carter, Coleman Hawkins, Rex Stewart, Barney Biggert, Billy Taylor, and even did a jam session with Louis Armstrong. That's fucking awesome. Oh, is there a recording of that, I wonder? I couldn't find anything. Oh, I would love to have 
like, it, I don't know, I'd be there. There's my time machine again. Fuck yeah, it. Since we this, need a time machine. This episode's all about time machines. Fuck it. That's the one time machine I get to use and I'm stuck. What year was it? This was the later years of the band, kind of right before World War II. Oh, yeah. So, it, oh, that's, yeah. I don't know if I want to teleport back to right before World War II. We're, we're going to change. <laughs> I'm going to change my mind. I'm just going to enjoy it from afar and tell you people about it. All right. And so that brings me to my next dude check out the song. We've got Tiger Rag, which is just an awesome jazz song. Like, I think I recommend it every time it pops up. Yeah, well, Tiger Rag is just great. And it's it's a traditional jazz tune as well. So, And he does his own take on it, which is pretty cool, too. Anytime anybody takes, you know, does their own take on it, it makes any song better. If you're going to do a traditional, make sure you at least, like, put your soul into it. Also, we got the song Jangology, Minor Swing, and Swing 39. All of these you got to listen to. All these original compositions by them. They're so cool. They, you know, just a lot of guitar shredding. It's awesome. Huh. I, I, we were listening to the Jangology Volume 1, especially a whole lot when we were setting up today, which is 1928 through 36. I'm going to have to put a lot of those because there's like 11 of them, 12 or something like that. I'm not sure how many he had, but they ended up throughout their career recording a lot of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's it's fantastic. I, I just can't recommend enough. for It's like good sunny day music, happy music. Gypsy music is really good about like conveying a rather wide array of motions rather than just one specific type. A lot of music genres can, you know, they portray sadness really good. Or, you know, you have like folk music. You can, you know, you're mainly portraying, you know, like people stepping down on you or, you know, the sadness that you lose or moving on to blues or something. Gypsy music, you almost get like a wider array because they use so many separate time signatures and key patterns compared to, you know, other styles. And honestly, gypsy music is probably some of the funnest music to try and dance to, too. Ah, it's just some of the funnest music in general. It's It, it really does bring out, like, the dance and everybody, because the I think the weird chords and the weird time signatures means that even, like, the best dancers aren't, you know, the, the if you're not good, you can dance to it, and if you're really good, you can dance really well to it. But it never, like, excludes anybody. And so, in 1943, Django actually officially married his long-term partner sophie ziegler in oh number one yeah number one there's no number two i know that's why i said it all sweet like because the way you said it i could tell <laughs> they would have a son named babick reinhardt who would babick? also yeah babick b-a-b-i-k that's kind of a cool name actually yeah and he would actually apparently become a respected guitar player in his own right. I didn't have time to look up his stuff, but that's on the docket. Well, maybe we'll throw him on an episode later when we get up to those, you know, further eras. Yeah, we definitely probably should look at him. He might have an interesting story for sure. Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll put him on the well, the the short list for maybes. Yeah, a hard hard maybes. The list is only like five hundred artists long at this point. I'm sure. Is it that many now? Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. It's too many. And so, obviously, around this time, World War II is going on. Oh, God damn it, Hitler. And so, while World War II is going on, the quintet was actually touring the UK. And the members were kind of hesitant to return to France, where the Nazis were at work rounding up the gypsies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's probably a good reason not to return home, because Nazis are rounding up your people. You'd think so, right? They went home anyways, didn't they? They didn't. Django did. Oh, he's, he, oh, man. He was confident in the knowledge that the Nazis loved jazz music. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks this even though 
Hitler banned the genre. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hitler banned jazz music. He's Jay like, oh, no. Like, no Nazis dude. love jazz music. Yeah, dude. Nazis love jazz. They're not going to be able to say no. Look at my, my burned hand. <laughs> Come on now, guys. Really? Yeah, he, he really thought that they would spare him because, you know, he was an awesome jazz guitar player. Oh, my God. So, before I begin to... Uh, let my mind roam and think of ideas of what could have happened. What happens? So he goes back to Paris. Well, yeah, I got that part. He leaves his wife and band members behind. Yeah, don't take wife to 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 Nazi land. That actually is Probably. the one time I think that like leave your wife behind is that the, is that is not an asshole spot. That's the one time in this whole thing where anybody's left their wife behind where we're not immediately like, dude, what the fuck. <laughs> it's like, oh no, yeah, you're this going. Is, this, go this is the one time where it's like, ah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, don't don't bring your wife to Nazis. The end. Well, and so upon his return to Paris, he decided to start a new quintet. You know, it went real well with the Nazis rounding everybody up. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is. I should not be laughing because this is really not a funny subject in history. But what the fuck, Django? You go back. <laughs> To Nazi occupied Paris. And you're like, you know what I should do? I think I'm going to start a band. You know, I mean, like, I know there's Nazis rub- or, you know, <laughs> picking up all the Jews everywhere and all the gypsies, but uh, y'all want to play some jazz? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Hey, guys, don't take me to Auschwitz. I'm playing cool jazz. It's yeah. like- <laughs> Come on, man. And he- so, of course, he ended up, you know, getting captured, right? Yeah. He, yeah. Oh, my God. By the way, it's not funny. We're not laughing at, like, you know, concentration camps or Nazis or anything like that, obviously. So, please, you know, un- unzip your your angry pants there a little bit because, you know, that's not what we're laughing at. We're laughing at the balls on Django. And, yeah. you know, he... And so, how, what a ridiculous idea it is that you would actually return to a Nazi-occupied France to go, <laughs> to start hey, I know you're rounding up my people, but look how good my music is, huh? Huh? Yeah, I'm but, safe? <laughs> Gypsy Jazz, it's all right, right? No, it's just a name. I'm French. He would actually have several different escape attempts from these concentration camps. So he was actually in an actual, or like, uh, not Auschwitz, but like an actual concentration camp then. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like. Oh my God. Like maybe even, uh, you know, because if, even if it's not like the primary, like, you know, Jew... The Jew execution, you know, the bad, bad at concentration camps. There is, you know, any concentration camp held by the Nazis, it's a terrible, terrible place. Yeah. We just do have to remember that there's different, you know, there's different angles to it. And also just, you know, it was all terrible, all terrible, terrible things. And his survival, in fact, was actually due to the help of a Luftwaffe official named Diedrich Schultzkahn. I think that's how you pronounce it. Now I'm butchering German. But he was known as Dr. Jazz. <laughs> this, this Nazi was known as Dr. Jazz? Apparently. Why does that conjure images like super science? <laughs> Why do I immediately like, oh my God, a Nazi, a Nazi Luftwaffe named Dr. Jazz See, saved was, Django Reinhardt? Like, I, this was is a comic super, book. I was thinking supervillain, like... How cool would it be to have a supervillain named Dr. Jazz with a German accent? (laughs) (laughs) This is insane. Like, I can't even handle this. Honestly, like, I'm taking a second to reprocess all this information because this is literally, I want to make a comic about this. 
I want to make a comic about Dr. Jazz singing, saving Django Reinhardt. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't like people, but you play jazz good, so get the fuck out of here. <laughs> He's overcome his Nazi ways because of the power of jazz. <laughs> and then Django flies off in like, in like a fucking Nazi plane at the end, you know, off in the sunset playing his music. Waving with two fingers. <laughs> We've won with the power of gypsy jazz. He has shown us with his power of jazz that we are doing wrong here. <laughs> uh, nobody steal that idea. I'm making this coming this fall. Django versus the Nazis. A true story. In quotation marks. And so by November 1945, he ended up meeting up with a bunch of American soldiers, right? You know, kind of being in the rescue camps there and stuff. And he would end up recording several sides with a bunch of American soldiers. And this band was called Django Reinhardt and his American Swing Band. <laughs> so it was with all soldiers, though? Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, all American GIs. So so after he got saved, we I, honestly, I don't think I really conveyed, got that information. Where like Did Jazz take him just to the Americans? Yeah. I mean, essentially, the, get, the Nazi guy liked his jazz. Helped him escape the concentration camp, and essentially he made it to the American side. Oh, okay. So he just essentially made it across the the line. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but, and, and this, then is, he's this is also around the time when the Americans were, you know, basically controlling France at this point. That's so amazing. And then the first, he's like, "Hey guys, I've been in a concentration camp. Want to jam? Any of y'all want to start a band?" <laughs> <laughs> So the best part is we all actually know this guy. Ian, I think you might be this guy. Me? <laughs> the guy I'll who, take that. The guy who always wants to put a band together, always wants to, like, jam, you know what I mean? Like, there's the one guy who's always like, oh, but, you know, like, I got to have a project going at all times. You know, you always got always to be playing some sort of music. Like, I bet you if there was a recording device in that concentration camp, they would have made some music somehow. Yeah, this is, this is my concentration camp blues. <laughs> it's not funny. I'm sorry, guys. Do not laugh. Anybody out there in the audience who just laughed at that joke, shame on you and double shame on me for me. It. Well, I did laugh at that joke, so I guess triple I'm shame. shame on I'm Ian. hanging my head in shame triple right now. Triple shame on Ian. But come on, this is so cartoonish. It doesn't seem real, right? No, it really does not seem real. And that's like the one of the reasons why I'm allowing myself to even be slightly giggly about something in this subject. Because typically this sort of subject, you know, genocide is not funny, guys. Knock it off. Like just the end. Yeah, but, can we stop doing that, please? Yeah, can we just like put, make that in the rules? But anyways, we're this is not what we're talking about. But you know what I mean. I'm allowing myself to have this giggle just because what the fuck, Django? Like straight out of the concentration camp, straight into the American base. Hey boys, what's up? And y'all like playing gypsy jazz? <laughs> and so this actually brings me to my next. Do check out the song. Now caveat on this. I couldn't find exactly what sides he recorded in this era, and there was a bunch of different songs with the name Django Reinhardt and his American Swing Band, so I just picked some of my favorites. But do check out the song Sing Guitar and the song Are You In The Mood. Oh, yes. Are You In The Mood is fucking amazing. I, I It's one of my favorite songs. Like It pops up on my uh, Spotify occasionally. So, And if you can't tell what the song's supposed to be about, just you know, think about Baseball. your lady in a romantic song. Oh, yes, yes. No, uh, not baseball. Sorry, guys. 
Well, I mean, certain baseball vocabulary, maybe. Bow chicka wow wow is what he's talking about. <laughs> he, he put it on as thin as a large, thick coat of butter. <laughs> Subtlety is not my specialty. And so after the war, Django ended up visiting America. And in 1946, he was invited by Duke Ellington to go on a tour with him throughout the United States and his orchestra. The tour was mildly successful, to say the least. You know, Django wasn't exactly thrilled with how things went in America. And the American jazz critics weren't exactly impressed by him. So... A couple of things that might have caused problems during this tour is one, Django never really learned how to tune his own guitar. His brother Joseph kind of did that for him. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. We're only bringing this up now after he tried to go through Nazi, he went through Nazi occupied Germany trying to start a jam band to tune his own guitar. Apparently he could do it. It just took him a while. Like, okay, is it is it because of his physical disability or is it because of a lack of knowledge? Because I think I could tune a guitar with one hand, so I don't know if it's if it's a disability thing. I think it's a gypsy thing. They just learn how to play something, and it's just like good enough, right? So they learned the fingering, and didn't he didn't really know what the opening jazz tune or the open gypsy tuning is that he played on, or is that what it was, or? Yeah, I don't know, really, but allegedly one night, Django was given on stage an untuned guitar to play, and for about five whole minutes, he fumbled around trying to tune that guitar. Oh, wow, that's kind of embarrassing. So I wonder if being in gypsy camps and stuff, they all just kind of tuned together instead of him having to try and tune the whole thing. Maybe it was a uh, a note thing where he just he could tune by ear, but he couldn't tune the guitar all to itself. And this is something that I've run into. So I, I have a big thing where I like uh, ancient styles of music, like, and I also like to just play them weirdly and with different tunings and things like this. So I dove back in to see like what these tunings for gypsy things would be. The issue is it comes into not just with gypsy music, but a lot of styles of music in this era is everything is relative. There's no sort of tuning to a lot of these instruments. They're all relatively tuned to each other. It's just essentially whoever was the... Uh, like the the lead musician in the circle would tune his up to the tone that he thought was right. And then yeah. everybody would tune to it. Right. And so essentially it was by ear and there really was no. So for those of you who don't know a lot about modern music theory, I'm not going to put it on with a, with a spatula. Like we have some other episodes. I'll keep it nice. Charlie and, Parker. Yeah. I'll keep it nice and thin and simple. But what I'm going to say is essentially when we say a C, a D and E as a note, Everybody in America is playing the same C, D, and E. In specific hertz. Yeah, it's a, a specific wavelength of sound that makes a specific tone in your ear. Back then, their C, D, and E, which they still had because they had multi-tone theory, was not always at the same hertz. So they would, they would tone, tune whatever their C or whatever their string that they were rooted on, whatever they were tuning to, to whatever they wanted and the sound was right, and then yeah. all tuned to that. Yeah, and so essentially, if you're tuning to a guitar string, a guitar is made out of a, a guitar string is a thin piece of metal that will shrink and extend depending on the heat and moisture that's in the air. Usage. Yeah, usage. So, you know, it could be in one tuning one night, you wake up the next morning, it's been a cold, humid night, it might shrink and be a completely different thing. You just tune everything to itself 
And it's all good. You know, you think it's in tune. And that's not even getting into what wood does when it gets, you know, when temperature changes. And, oh, exactly. And, you know, if you're playing all wood instruments and you're out in a caravan with no sort of ceiling, your your instruments get damp at night and they get dry during the day. That means they get big and little. and Yeah, exposed to the elements is probably the worst thing a guitar player could do to their guitar if they want to remain in the exact same tuning the entire time. Yeah, exactly. But honestly, when we when I start to think about that, you really start thinking organically. Like I've I, I've done a lot of like live jam sessions, and one thing as an accordion player is we used to do this in our band is we tuned to me because yep. my my reeds I couldn't tune them, like I couldn't change the pitch of the the, the brass that's in my accordion because it's always going to be the tone that it is because right. it's physical. And so we would tune the two instruments that would tune to it. So we were never playing like bass C or stuff like that or anything. No, we actually played in different hertz because you had such an old accordion too. Yeah, exactly. When we started our band, I was playing an accordion that was made uh, actually in this era. It was assembled in 1941 and uh, technically uh, pressed and made in 1937. So it's it's very close to the era they're playing in. But if you think about a whole bunch of stringed instruments – that yeah. all like a whole bunch of tunable instruments that are around like a fire all night. Not only you have all that temperature difference from the cold air behind and the hot air in the fire and the usage and the string warp and all that, they must have went through. I almost want to say like waves, like song by song, must have changed tones and root notes. You know what I mean? To, so like they play through a song where they all tune to something that was close to C, and they play through the whole thing, but everybody detunes a little bit because of all the you know the the five, six, seven minutes of play. And then everybody retunes, and it wouldn't go back to the same place. It'd probably be lower or higher or wherever it may go. Well, right. And think about all the instruments he learned to play in his youth, which is violin, banjo, and guitar, all stringed instruments. Yeah, all instruments you have to manually tune. That's a, that is a very interesting uh, thing. Uh, that actually would make for such an organic flow and probably non-reproducible music. You know what I mean? Like uh, a lot of the jams that would go out like that, you could reproduce yeah. the tones and you could reproduce like the fingerings and you, stuff. You could easily reproduce the intervals, but they wouldn't sound the same. Yeah, especially with whatever the unique composition was for the fireside's party at that night or whatever it may be. It's a, it's a lot to ask. Right. And so another difficulty Django had was he was used to playing a Selmore McAfee guitar. What the fuck is that? Well... It's an acoustic guitar that has an oval-shaped hole in the center instead of a regular, like, Rounded circular round. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of a French-designed guitar, or it was a French-manufactured guitar, I guess would be better to say. And, you know, they were available from about 1932 to about 1952. And so, you know, right around his era when he was playing guitar, and they just... They had a very unique look to them, and he was known for using these guitars. Like, you can actually find many videos of him using these guitars, and they've got a little bigger body and that unique shape on the uh, acoustic hole. You know, I never thought to actually look if any of the holes were not circular on acoustic bodies, but I'm now going to keep an eye out for it because I think I've only seen perfect circles. Yeah, it actually looks pretty slick, too, like... If you see it played with a little bit bigger body, I think that really would. Because don't the didn't he play on a wider or neck too? I'm not sure about the neck. That would be something I would really have to dig into because there's so many different neck standards on a guitar. Like even different models, like Fender has a little different scale. Gibson does, and then you get to like PRSs where they have a a much longer neck, but the you know they compact the um, the frets a little bit more so you can get even more in, in there for shredding. I mean. 
it's all kind of dependent on like math yeah. and how you lay out the fretboard. It's that's a long conversation right yeah. there. I just know traditionally that a lot of the modern style gypsy jazz uses the uh, the what are they called classical guitars, so which have a little bit wider neck and a uh, little bit more. I don't know. I want to say like body well, body heavy tone. Well, they also use a mix of brass strings and nylon strings too. Yeah, that too. So yeah, you can get those dualistic tones. Well, and so on this tour, he wasn't actually able to use this guitar. He actually was required to play a new amplified model just for this tour. And so after So they he, couldn't amp his old style of guitar. They had to they had to put him on a round hole uh, like acoustic is what we're getting at. I guess so. What I could tell just looks like that acoustic pickup style that goes in the hole and so after he went electric quote unquote people were kind of disappointed oh poor poor dylan Django dylan Django dylan <laughs> yeah so like i don't know because this was like a brand new technology then too i mean yeah i mean honestly a lot of a lot of acoustic musicians have all gotten a lot of flack for going electric it, it happens well, right, and you're talking about playing jazz, and you know how stuck up some jazz critics can be. Yeah, they're they're. I honestly think the jazz fanship is the only fanship that really steps it up on like the the I'm gonna raise my nose at you angle than some of the like you know folk style and uh, and other styles associated with it. And so obviously Django wasn't exactly happy about the response he got. And so he ended up moving back to France. His dreams of being a famous American jazz musician kind of dashed. Oh, so, so what, uh, let's, let's take a step back. Cause we have an asshole spotlight and I, we didn't even mention a name. I'm pretty sure his name's lost in history, but uh, some, I think it's the American people at this point. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting into that, but, uh, the asshole spotlight is whoever thought that was a good idea. Did you notice, like, Django was like, hey, I'm not playing on my normal acoustic, and it's going to weird me out, and it's going to make me play worse, and I also have to play electric. And then all the people who were here to see the music were like, hey, he's playing on this weird electric guitar, not his classic acoustic. What the fuck is going on? It sounds like one dude thought that was a good fucking idea and made it happen. Yeah, it's probably some producer. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like one dude fucked this whole thing up for Django, which is one of the whole things where, like, if you're a good musician and you have strong talent, don't don't fucking let people boss you around about what you play. Your music is what people care about, and most producers and people who quote-unquote know shit about music know shit about music 10 years ago, and they try to apply the, the business rhythms of music 10 years ago to the music of today, which is just literally not a thing that's going to happen ever. Right. I mean, music evolved so fast, like what was popular two years ago is probably lame anyway. Boring and lame now. Yeah, exactly. And not even like the pop music sense. Like even if you're like a, a contemporary, like intelligent musician and you have your specific style, like there's music year to year that changes most styles. And if your style doesn't change year to year, it's probably because it's, you know, stamped by a corporation and shipped out via some anonymous shipping network. But one thing that did happened from this American tour is he actually went to America only playing swing jazz and came back, you know, knowing how to play bebop and what would be considered modern jazz at the time. Yeah, and we've talked about bebop. Oh, oh, oh yeah, we love us some bebop here. And so from 1947 when he got back to France until 1953, 
Django lived a pretty reclusive life. He performed irregularly, you know, touring the south of France only on occasion, but he would actually do quite a bit of recording because he revived the Hot Club Quintet, and, you know, he'd have, like, three different clarinets. Occasionally, Grappelli would make an appearance on these recordings, but these songs had his, you know, original, like, French flavor to them. You know, songs like Babic. Oh, I'm going to screw this name up so bad. Crepuscule? <laughs> I'm not even looking at it. I have no idea that you pronounced that way wrong. Crepuscule? Yeah, school? School? I don't know. Okay, you have to, you have to spell it for okay. us. Okay, C-R-E-P-U-S-C-U-L-E. Yeah, my, my pronunciation would not be any better. Let's move on. <laughs> Fairy and Artillery Lord. He'd also do some, like, symphony stuff that you know he did during the war years and a song that he became pretty known for was and i'm gonna fuck this one up again menar de mes revs i tried to make it sound good rather than making ian spell this one we're just gonna do check out this song and throw it on the playlist so if you guys really want to know how it's spelled it'll be on the playlist and if you want more do check out this song check out babic which is just a crazy awesome like faster paced like jazz song it's isn't that cool. the name of his son yep yeah that's awesome and then fairy fairy with two e's f-e-e-r-i-e fairy fairy i don't know and then artillery lord artillery lord i think that i i that's what it looks like to me in my american tongue so <laughs> that's what <laughs> i'm going it's with per, it's not spelled like artillery lord no oh, okay but they will be on our Spotify. Yeah. So if you know how to pronounce this shit, please let us know and we will make a correction. <laughs> a lot of times, like when there's a few words that we can't pronounce, we'll make, go, go through and make sure we have all the pronunciation guys. But we looked at the unpronounceable words for this episode before we started and we just laughed for about five minutes and we we're like, fuck it, guys. This is the difference between. We this, went for it. Yeah, this is the difference between this being a. Uh, 100% educational podcast and us being a relaxed music podcast for adults. I don't know if you guys haven't noticed the adult theme so far. And so the first two months of 1949 was actually pretty prolific for him. So Django and Grappelli ended up getting back together and recording 68 numbers in Rome. <laughs> 68? Yeah. Good God, that's a lot. And... I didn't have time to listen through all these, so I don't have a dude check out the song, but there's definitely some of these songs are going to make dude, our check Spotify out, yeah, list. They'll be on the list, but do check out all 68 of these tracks if you really like Django, because he's a fucking badass. He was really on these recordings experimenting with the bebop style, and he was using an amplified guitar. A lot of people didn't like it, but you know what? He just said, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And he ended up jamming with Dizzy Gillespie, in February of 1953, and in April 1953, ended up making his last commercial recording with a group consisting of a piano, bass, and drums. That would be Django's last recording? Yeah. Uh, what year is this? April 8th, 1953. Oh, that's a, that's a, a pretty ripe old age. Yeah, that's that's getting up there. I mean, he's in his 40s. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it, for a man who burned half to death and also went to a concentration camp, yeah, that's pretty good. So the reason why this was his last recording was he ended up touring Sweden in about mid-May, and this was a pretty strenuous tour for him. 
And on his return, he started complaining of headaches and numbness in his arms. And being a gypsy, he decided he didn't need to go see a doctor. Yeah, I probably went and saw a fortune teller. Fortune teller probably said his future looked bright, too. Yeah. <laughs> like a bright white light, dude. <laughs> and so, I don't want to laugh at this, but he ended up collapsing from a severe stroke and died the next day in a font... Ooh, this... Damn French words. Fontainebleau Hospital the next day on May 16th, 1953. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I mean, think of how much longer he could have gone if he would have just seen a doctor. If we're going to pick anything up from this death segment, we try to like, you know, when we have a sad stuff meeting, we really like to, you know, give you a lesson. Maybe you'll learn something so you don't make the same mistake. Here's another lesson. If you have some sort of medical condition, go to a doctor. Yeah, the end. seriously. Like, I don't give a shit how gypsy or magey or, you know, pro flat earth or if if your lineage is from lizard people in the core, go to a doctor if you need to go see a doctor. Okay, hold on, Pat. I think these are last thoughts we're about to be speaking right now. Let's do some last thoughts. All right. I guess we should announce the segment before we move forward. Welcome to the last thoughts on Django Reinhardt. For me, honestly, my last thoughts on Django is... A big thing for me, I'm a guitar player. The fact that he basically invented the rhythm guitar, lead guitar stuff is big for me. I do that all the time in my music. And the other thing is is he used like octave uh, voicing for it, which is something that really is like a big thing to learn when you're learning how to do solos, like especially on guitar because you can do the octave voicing so easily because you just go across the neck in a certain way it is a broad technique yeah and i think he did that because he was so limited with only having two fingers and so because of that he inv- invented this way to kind of flow through the guitar neck that was different than how it was done with like a lot of those old traditional blues stuff we always talk about he really does travel horizontally across the guitar more than any musician up to that point and it really does open i mean if you think of the way Jimi hendrix even yeah. uh, solos like he travels vertically up the guitar the same way Django does much unlike like those heavy like uh, you know what is uh the white guy with the snakeskin hat uh, I can't remember his name. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> like, him, he's a very vertical up and down the neck style of blues player. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he does do, you know, he goes up and up and down, you know, the way he does, but it's not the same. Well, and it's just, it's like, he does it in a way, I, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this for people who don't know music, but he travels across the neck, but also up the neck, and it catches the octaves through it, and that's something... I am actually learning how to do more proficiently at the moment in my solos. Yeah, and, and Ian's a, he's a, been playing the guitar for 15 years at this point at least. I, I, I dare to say actually even longer. How many years are you on the guitar at this point? Oh, God. Uh, it's probably been about 15 or 16 years now. Yeah, it's whenever you brought that fucking red guitar over to my house. <laughs> the, the Guatemalan guitar. Yeah. The one with the broken neck. You, it, it wasn't broken. It was just bowed, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Either way, I guess let's move on to my last thoughts. Uh, I'm gonna, I guess we can. I'm going to spill the beans right here, straight from the beginning. Guess who put this guy on the list? It was me. Yeah. yeah. It was totally Pat. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I love Django Reinhardt. I'm, I've been a Gypsy fan since the beginning of my days. I play accordion. I, I typically play on Gypsy scales, even when I'm playing other styles of music. That's one of the things that 
really iconicizes me as a musician and how you can tell my music away from other people's is that my use of specific tones within scales, which is the gypsy style. Well, I'd never even heard of gypsy music till you. So, I mean, you really introduced me into the whole idea of gypsy music. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's it's just always, I don't know why it's always interested me. I, I'm not even sure at what point I was truly inspired to it. I mean, I know I found my first gypsy band when I was younger. Uh, shout outs to a hawk and a hacksaw. Oh, okay. Them. I know that band. Yeah, yeah dude, check out a hawk and a hacksaw. We'll throw some on on the end of this yeah, for just, you guys. Just just to, to widen the gypsy birth on this. But so, you know, d- besides what it was about, what this connects to my history about, what it really comes down to is... The word gypsy has so many negative connotations in society. And Don't be stealing my babies, bro. Yeah, exactly. Like people expecting me to steal babies, you know, like uh, like because I'm a I'm an accordion player who plays gypsy music. You know how many times people have assumed that I'm homeless? Like <laughs> anybody who knows that, me knows that I like beds a lot. I mean, does that not? present itself by the way you look though maybe <laughs> well of course you you know when you go out and you want to play gypsy music you dress a little gypsy so of course that there is the visual aspect but i'm not gonna pretend like it's like homeless chic or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> i mean i remember a point where we were when we were playing together that you had like full on like super long hair and the full beard you got going on now <laughs> i mean you did kind of look homeless no offense dude whatever man whatever Thanks anyways, but that's the gypsy chic look, either way. (laughs) (laughs) Which you weren't going for. Yeah, which I definitely was not going for at that point. We were really young, so, you know, laugh all you want, but at this point, Ian was still, you know... Oh, I was super dork. I was super dork (laughs) at that point. (laughs) So we've all come forward after all of that, but Django was my steps, like... Along my real path of finding great gypsy music and understanding and really grasping what music was and where it could come from, Django was this huge connection point for me between jazz and gypsies, between gypsies and relaxation, because other gypsy music besides this jazz style of gypsy is not this relaxed, like, you know, sunny day style music the way that Django plays. You know, a lot of other gypsy music is heavy on the strings or heavy on the accordion or heavy on the brass, whatever whatever drives this emotion and makes you almost feel oppressed or sad, which we were talking about this breath of, or breath of emotion earlier. Yeah, I mean, they really have a way to convey the emotions in their instruments, not with the notes they play, but the way they play their notes. Yeah, exactly. And the, the weird timings and the loops, it, it's surreal. And my real last thoughts is, you know, I think the word gypsy has just been used in too many damn ways. So uh, if you think of gypsy music, don't think of gypsy people. And when you think of gypsy people, maybe don't think the Romani compared to people who just wander around and steal things. Because people in the modern day who wander around and steal things, while you may call them gypsies, that's not necessarily... like. I don't want to start throwing out racism or anything like that because we're not going to stand on some hard point it's like that. It's a derogatory term. Yeah, exactly. Let's go with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, gypo. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like derogatory terms derived from the term gypsy, and we're not even going to get into them because some of them would strike you way more home than you really think they would. 
Well, and it's just like that joke I said earlier where, you know, you're a gypsy, you're stealing babies. I mean, that's like kind of a derogatory. Oh, I would say that's yeah, pretty derogatory. That's a derogatory story. stereotype, really, if you yeah, think about it's it. It's a pretty heavy derogatory stereotype, and uh, I don't know. All I'm saying is if you really think that, you know, like if you take the word gypsy as just a negative connotation, you're missing out on a lot of really good culture. But if you're taking the word gypsy as like an active stereotype and you're wandering around stealing babies or doing whatever the fuck like evil gypsies might do, don't do that. That we're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Django Reinhardt playing good music and accidentally burning himself, you know, because they don't, you know, they're, you know, that's that's what we're talking about. It's it's yeah. very sad. It's it is life. It is reality. It's ironically, the that actually though, happened. You know, I mean. Ironically, because of the fact that he burned himself, he was able to invent like a whole new style that was able to like encompass like all new music too. Yeah, his disability really became his prowess eventually because if you really listen to the way he plays, the more you know about guitar, the more it seems weird because these two finger motions that he does with these slides and the in the different hand motions and the different strums and combined with the, whatever chord structures he could possibly make turned out to be this completely unique piece of art. Yeah, and the fact that he's got two super long fingers and he was able to do things with two fingers that a lot of people can't do with four. Yeah, there's some of these pictures if you look he's doing power chords with two fingers, like 1 2 on the on like on the or excuse me, doing 1 5 with his first and second finger. Not just that, but he's he was able to figure out like insane stretches that I can't do with my first and pinky finger sometimes. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I am cursed not, with small hands, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a guitar player, ironically enough. I know enough guitar to, like, uh, be part of a band that has a guitar in it and make sure that I can convey the information properly, and that is 100% where my, exist, where my existence with guitar ends, but... This is a whole new level, and honestly, I just, I love gypsy music. So if I really do have last, last thoughts, it's that, you know, you should appreciate gypsy music regardless of whatever negative intonations the universe has put upon it. Now is a good time to thank you guys for listening. Honestly, because without you guys, we wouldn't be doing this. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is fun for us, but the fact that you guys are listening, that's amazing to us. Can I get down on some emotional shit with you guys real quick? Share with the boys. All right, and let ladies. me grab my hanky. Yeah, the ladies and the gentlemen out there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean just one. Uh, ladies, you are the boys. That's that's part of it. I don't mind. At the time of recording today, we hit 100 downloads, which we are well ahead of our recording scape. So uh, when we are recording this is not when you are listening to it. So there is some, some distinct difference in the time recordings. We won't really give it away too much because, you know, it's it's just not polite, but... We want to thank everybody who is already in the very short amount of time of us being available publicly who has listened. And uh, I hope that you all will just rate us well in wherever you're looking at and do whatever you can to support us. We're not going to ask for anything specific. We just love the fact that you're listening to us. And please check out our Spotify. Honestly, like all the music we talk about is there. Like yeah, this, we, is ha this is really like our form of communication for you guys. Like you should just have our Spotify open with the episode, so when we mention a song, you can look it right up and listen to it and go, oh, that's what they're talking about. Yep, if you want to cross-reference, or honestly, I think the ultimate listening experience would be to listen to the episode and then listen to the playlist and then move on to the next episode. But however you ingest our show, thank you for doing so. Just, you guys are amazing. And the more that you guys actually keep listening and enjoying our shit, the more we're going to do it. Yeah, honestly, thank you. And 
just keep listening and share with your friends because that's the best you could do for us. Oh, and there's more interviews coming. We're sorry about that. There was a slight uh, quarantine issue that disallowed. COVID. Yeah, there's a slight quarantine issue that disallowed people from coming into our studio for a very long time. Now that that's resolved, we're going to move forward with a whole lot of interviews. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Bye.